Well, as you know, we've been in the middle of the uh, covenant material, and uh, we have what we've been covering is that uh, the covenant was made with Adam all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It was up to him to pass it on to his children. It was up to him to pass it on to his wife. Uh, she was deceived. He was not. And as a result of breaking the covenant, which is, I'll be your God, you be my people, and it's up to you to teach your kids that, uh, man was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And as a result, we trace the lineage down in the, one of the sermons, and we see that there was a, a family, a line of families that passed the truth on down. The scripture talks about the secret of his covenant is revealed to those who obey him, and, and that secret was passed down from line to line to line until we get to uh, Noah, and then Noah had it crossed over into the uh, uh, new land, if you will, the, the age that we're now in, left the age from behind. And at that time, everybody knew about the covenant. But then again, it wasn't passed on down through the generations. It was lost again. And we end up with Abraham being a first-generation Christian, if you will, because remember, uh, Christ was all the way back, slain from the foundation of the world. So Abraham understood that. God called him out. Abraham left his parents who worshipped idols, as Joshua 24 mentions, and Abraham became a, you know, started over. The secret was revealed to him, and the scriptures are very plain that he, God knew that he would teach his kids, and he did. And then it was, uh, wasn't until Israel ended up in Egypt that they lost the knowledge of the covenant. They had a little bit of information, much like the churches of the world, they have the name, they have a few things, but as far as the deep understanding of the covenant, they had lost that. So that was revealed to them uh, by God through Moses. Moses rejected the high priesthood because he uh, said he couldn't, couldn't talk, you know, and so God, there we find the high priesthood separates from Moses, and you've got Moses and Aaron, and so that'll be reunited, of course, in Christ. But at that time, God was still king over Israel, uh, the leadership of the covenant, the, the, the ones who have the covenant, they later rejected even that, and that is a problem that we ran into. We, we traced it through, and we found that God began to deal with the leadership just like he revealed himself to Moses and slowly went from being in the bush to talking to him out of a cloud to talking to him out of a mountain till finally where he talked to him face-to-face -face like you and I would talk over a cup of coffee after services. And eventually that was available to the leadership, uh, they heard about God through Moses, then later on they saw him in the cloud, or they, they, they saw the cloud, they saw the pillar of fire. Then later on they heard his voice, but we also know that some of the leaders came with Moses and they saw God stand on the rock, Moses hits the rock, the water comes out, that was their first contact. Then later on we find that they actually went up in the mountain and sat and ate with God, and that was, uh, you know, they were moving closer to God. Then we find that Moses went, and Joshua both went up into the mountain to receive um, some information. The Ten Commandments actually carved in stone because those go on and on and on. And <clears throat> when he came back down, he'd left Aaron and her in charge with all the leadership, the captain system. Uh, they had all kinds of information. Many of them had seen God. Many of them had eaten with God. And he left them in charge. When he came back down, they had, in fact, allowed the people to run wild. They should have executed those who had gotten the idols out. They didn't do it. Moses went to Aaron. He said, what did these people do to you to allow this to happen? De Deuteronomy 9.20 then said that, that Moses, or sorry, that God was going to kill Aaron, but Moses interceded. We never hear from her again. So Aaron and her basically are out of the picture, you might say, and all the leadership 
They are then killed by those who, not the leadership, but those who had worshipped idols are then killed by Levi. At that point in time, we covered that Levi then had the covenant. God made the covenant. He said, you, you have the covenant. You have the knowledge. It's by your mouth that they're supposed to learn the law. The firstborn of every family is now replaced by the Levites in Numbers 3. So now instead of having the firstborn in your family, firstborn male, being the one that basically you would go through, now the Levites have all of that. They take care of the temple. They take care of, uh, of the law. They do all the teaching and so forth. Now, what happens then is, remember, part of the covenant changes a little bit. God makes an adjustment here. He says, I'm not going to go up among you. And we saw that. He was going to dwell among them and go up among them, and, and you could walk with them. And he said, the other thing is, is that the Levites will take your place. Now, it's important to understand that a covenant is still the same covenant. For example, let's say that you had a marriage covenant, and all of a sudden your, uh, your, your husband started beating you because he was drunk all the time. Well... All of a sudden, you, you, you come back and you say, uh, they, they say, look, I'm sorry, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, you know, stay married. And you say, well, look, I'll, I'll stay in this marriage covenant, but you have to go to AA every week. Well, is this a different covenant? Is it a different marriage? Is it, is it different rules? No. But you said, look, we're going to make a few changes. You know, uh, you, you've broken the covenant. You've broken the marriage agreement. But, you know, I'm willing to stay in it and renew it with you and so forth and keep on going. But I'm going to make a couple changes here. Next time you lay a hand on me, or if you don't go to AA, see, and this is what God did. He had the covenant, and they kept breaking. He said, okay, I'll, you, you want to enter back into it? Okay, here's a few changes. Later on, he added sacrifices. So we see that it's still the same agreement, but he's just making a few changes here because of their problem. It wasn't a drinking problem. It was a problem chasing after other gods. So God had to kind of make a few adjustments. So we went through that. And we ended up, we saw and proved that Israel could have kept the covenant, that it wasn't too hard for them, the word was in their mouth, it was near to them, that they could do it, that they were to circumcise their hearts, and they were to obey God. And, uh, of course, we proved that salvation was open to, uh, to those. God gives his spirit to those who obey them, uh, obey him, and they just simply didn't do it. So <clears throat> what we did was we, we finished up in Deuteronomy. Now we're going to pick up in Joshua. And what we're going to do is we're going to now do uh, just sort of a thumbnail sketch through the Old Testament, and we're going to show that time and time again, the, the possessors of the covenant, the guardians of the covenant, uh, failed to do their job. Because this sets the whole stage for Christ's coming. When Christ comes, he comes to confirm the covenant, but he also comes as an Elijah to come along with John. John and Christ are both have that office. John is more like Elijah. Christ is more like Elisha, who takes off when Elijah is done. Elijah worked no miracles. John worked no miracles. Elisha worked many miracles. Jesus worked many miracles. So they came, first Elijah, and then Elisha. And if you recognize the office of Elijah, you would have recognized the office of Elisha. And this is one of the reasons that Christ said, you know, we should have recognized John. And remember, the, the Pharisees couldn't answer him because they said, oh, well, we didn't recognize John. And if, if he says, well, where was his baptism? Then if we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you recognize him? If we say, well, it was from man. Then the people will get mad because the people all knew that John was a prophet. So there's the office of Elijah and the office of Elisha. And so the, the whole role there was to turn the hearts of the fathers, which would be the Levites, the possessors of the covenant, the rulers of Israel, to the children, the people, and the, and the children to them. 
and then allow the kingdom to continue on. But the thing is, is that he wasn't able to do that. And if, you, if we follow through, we will find that Christ and John constantly preached to the leadership, to the Levites, to the Pharisees, to all of the leaders. And again, they failed, so the kingdom was taken from them and given to another nation consisting of us. So it was taken away from the, from the Levites. So what we need to do now is just to go through and get a flow and find out uh, what happened here. Now, what I suggest in your notes, we're going to make all of the sermon tapes available, not for you to check out, but for you to have, okay? We're going we're gonna to be able to do that. We'll, we'll buy enough tapes. We'll run those off to where you can take and put them in your library, and you can go over them. What I would recommend that you do with your notes, though, is, is like just put down Joshua. And, and, you know, every now and then you might put a verse down or something, but and then we'll go, into, we'll go into Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and maybe just put Isaiah you know, 23 or something like that. But try not to take too many notes because you'll get lost. I go very fast, obviously, but we've got so much to cover. And, and what I, my goal is for us to see the whole picture. And to do that, we have to kind of go rapidly. I say, well, here, here, here's the high spots. And then you can go back and study it over, and you go, wow, that's really true when you go back and study it. But we can't study it there. We just kind of got to hit it and then go on to the next. And then when you step back and realize we've covered this big, big scheme, you go, okay, that, now that all makes sense. But we can't go, you know, we can't stay in one area too long. So actually my real calling would have been an auctioneer. But, uh, <clears throat> okay, we get to... Uh, Deuteronomy 34, and we, we're closing out Deuteronomy. Moses dies because he hit the rock twice instead of speaking to it. And again, that, the indication there was the rock is the problem, right? You know, I mean, if you hit, if you hit something twice on your car, you know, it's because it's a problem. The people were the problem, not the rock. The rock was always doing what it was supposed to do. God says, bring your, bring your staff, but don't, don't use the staff and don't hit the rock. This time, just speak to it, because I want you to go down in stature, and I want the rock to come up in stature, because that rock was Christ. So just talk to the rock. Well, this time, Moses says, you rebels, must we fetch you water? Smack, smack. See, one speaking isn't enough. One hitting isn't enough. It's like kicking your car twice to get the lights to come on. The problem's with the rock. And he said, no, you haven't exalted me in the eyes of Israel, so you don't go in the promised land. He's plenty healthy enough, as Deuteronomy 34, verse 7 says, when Moses was 120, he died, yet his eyes weren't weak, nor his strength gone. So the goal there, of course, would have been Moses to go right on into the promised land and not only be Moses, but be the high priest too, but he turned it down. So see how the problems develop in the covenant because of people making mistakes. Now, Moses was faithful. He taught other people, but he made mistakes. So Joshua takes over, and remember, Joshua saw God face to face. Joshua went down and was in the tent, and God would talk with him. Now we get to chapter 1 of Joshua. <clears throat> 1, verse 8, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it. So this was Joshua's uh, instructions, and uh, he began to uh, lead them uh, into the land. Joshua then... Uh, We'll go to the last chapter in Joshua. I'm just going to kind of skip through. <clears throat> Joshua 24, verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel 
he summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God, and he said to all the people, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. We'll go down to um, verse 19. Now, what he's setting the stage for is saying, look, God called out our fathers, started over, but they blew it in Egypt. And then our dads blew it when we were brought out of Egypt. So you, you youngins, remember, everybody under the age of, what was it, 20, was going to go into the promised land, everybody over dies. So now, this is 40 years later, and the, the youngest, or the oldest one among them would be, what, uh, 60 years old is all. So <clears throat> he, he asked them about this covenant, and, uh, and they said, we'll serve the Lord because he's our God. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, kind of taunting him. You can't do that. He's holy God. He's a jealous God. He'll not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. He said, okay. Verse 22, you're witnesses against yourselves. You've chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses. So then verse 23 says, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Now you can read in Acts 7 that they actually worship Molech out in the desert. So even though they had Moses with them, they were worshiping Molech. They were worshiping foreign gods while they were wandering in the desert. And they were not circumcised. Their fathers did not circumcise him because Joshua stops at the river of Jordan and they do it all over again. So, you know, here the covenant's totally been lost and he starts over. He says, okay, kids, we'll start with you guys. Are you sure that you want to enter into this? Yeah. Nah, you can't do it. You can't do it. No, we can. Okay. So we'll do that. So verse 25, on that day Joshua made a covenant for the people. And, of course, the covenant is in verse 24. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him, which is, you be my God, I'll be your people. <clears throat> verse 31, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And then they brought Joseph's bones, which again, Joseph understood the resurrection. So remember when Joshua, who is a type of Christ, enters into the promised land, entered into the land of rest, which isn't the real rest, we know Hebrews 4 says there's one to come. But when they entered into this rest, they brought the dead with them, the dead in Christ. See, they brought jo Joseph's bones with them and then buried them in a spot. Of course, this is foreshowing the resurrection where the dead in Christ are raised first. And when Christ returns, when Joshua comes, he will bring the dead with him. Okay, we get to Judges, chapter 1, verse uh, 1. After the death of Joshua, Israelites asked the Lord. Who will be the first to go fight against the Canaanites? The Lord said, Judah is to go. I've given the land into their hands. Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers will come with us. Well, he didn't tell them to go with them. So already we start to see a problem, don't we? Okay, we get to uh, chapter 2, verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your forefathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Verse 10, after a whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, this was Joshua's generation, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baals. So don't we see the problem again? We got this other group. So what happens is, and I don't want to go through all of Judges, but what you have, the whole book of Judges is about the covenant being broken and restored. 
people going into captivity and God sending saviors, because that's what the word judges means. They saved Israel, then they judged them, ruled them, and then they died. And usually you'll find between 20 to about 80 years that Israel would follow God during that time period. Then their kids, I mean, how many of you in here remember the Second World War? How many of you, see, now, how many of you in here think that we're making a lot of mistakes right now, you know, as a younger generation? We're doing it, aren't we? You know, we're forgetting Hitler. We're forgetting appeasement. You know, we didn't learn anything, uh, you know, about appeasement. We didn't learn, we're making a lot of mistakes again. One more generation, see? And, and those who experience the depression, you know, they look and they see the kids with all these credit cards and they say, no, 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 but see, you can't tell them. So what happens is it's about a generation or two goes by and you lose it. You make the same mistakes again. This is the problem with the covenant is that you have to rely on them to teach you. Verse 16, the Lord raised up judges, which means saviors, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders, but they would not listen to their judges and so forth. So <clears throat> we find another change in the covenant, verse 20. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me. Now wait a minute, I thought that that was over with. You see, it's the same one. It goes on through. You know, it's going on through. He just made a few adjustments. But he said, because you violated it, I'm going to make another change. What's the change? He said, don't look for me to go up and fight. You're going to have to do it on your own. He says, I will, verse 21, no longer drive out before any of the nations Joshua left when he died. By the way, Joshua didn't, he should have driven them all out. And if you read the last part of Joshua, you'll find that they didn't quite do it. They drive them almost all the way out, but not quite. And um, so there's a change takes place there. Chapter 3, verse... Uh, uh, eight, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so he sold them. And you can read that they were in subject for eight years, and then there was a fellow named uh, uh, Othniel who delivered them. Uh, verse 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge and went to war. And verse 11, the land had peace for 40 years, one generation. Verse 14, the Israelites were subject to uh, the king of Moab for 18 years, because, see, they, they did evil. Verse 15, Israel cried to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, a left-handed guy named Ehud. And uh, verse 30, that day Moab was made subject to Israel, and they had peace about 80 years. But then we've got the story of Deborah in chapter 4, which is they went into captivity, and he raised up Deborah, and Deborah delivered them. So that's what chapter 4 and 5 is about. Chapter 6 is <clears throat> Israel did evil, verse 1. And for seven years he gave him into the hands of the Midianites. And that's the story of Gideon. And Gideon goes in and, and he brings them back out. So you keep seeing a problem. No wonder that, um, that we, uh, let's look at chapter 8, verse 28. No wonder that eventually when the covenant was mentioned in Jeremiah that they said, well, the fathers have eaten the sour grapes, but the kids' teeth are set on edge. So we see it constantly and constantly and constantly. So if you're a little kid in this, you know, they restore the government, but then as you grow up, you have problems again. Verse 28, Midian was subdued before the Israelites and didn't raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed peace 40 years. Verse 33, but no sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves with Baals. Now, let's ask this question. What if you're, an, what if you're a Gentile nation and you live on the outskirts and you're waiting for salvation? You're waiting for the knowledge of the eternal. 
Remember, there's, you have to come in contact because he's the God of Israel. You have to come in contact with Israel to learn about it. And this is what was the job of Israel, to be kings and priests, to be a holy nation. Priest, what's a priest do? He's supposed to tell you about God. So you're standing there saying, boy, I'd like to see you guys get your act together so I could learn about God. And it doesn't happen. See, it goes on and on and on. It doesn't happen. And this is one of the reasons why in Romans it talks about that the Gentiles are excited that Israel has fallen. Not that they're lost, but by the fall of Israel and that the kingdom no longer forcefully advances as, as taking the, the gospel of the kingdom and actually going up to nations because Israel would, what, what Israel was supposed to do is be righteous. And as they overpopulated, they would move on out to the next nation, and then the next nation was supposed to open their gates to them. And if they didn't, then Israel would destroy them. Deuteronomy 20 talks about what you're supposed to do there. So what happens is, then, then you, would, you would take the knowledge of the truth out to them. The Gentile would come into Israel. They would be circumcised. They would be like a native-born Israelite. And then they would have access to the temple until finally they would understand that you don't just kill a little lamb, that God was killed and he slain from the foundation of the world. And the knowledge of salvation would come to them. Now, remember, we read in, in Hebrews and 1 Corinthians that the gospel of the kingdom was preached to Israel, which includes Christ. So they were supposed to take that gospel out. That was their job. But see, it didn't happen. So because it doesn't happen, it says salvation has come to the Gentiles because Israel has fallen. Because, what, did the gospel stop? No. He says, I've taken it away and given it to a, a group of people that they might not be firstborn, they might not be is, uh, Levites, they might not be male, see, they might be Gentile. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor slave nor bond. Those are going to be my new Levites. Now, that's why Christ also said, if you don't hate your father or mother, see, and we know that the, the scripture means if you don't love less your father or mother than me, then you have no business. See, that's the same terminology that's used with Levi. Because when God calls you to pick up the covenant, when the Levites now have laid it on the ground, he said, you need to be like Levi was back in Exodus 24 and say, well, it doesn't matter if my mom doesn't want me to come in the church. It doesn't matter if my mom my dad. It doesn't matter if my mate. If you love someone more than me, he says, you can't be. So you can't be that. You can't be a keeper of the covenant, if you will. So this is what Christ is talking about in the New Testament. So Israel, and this will help open up Romans, with Israel falling out of the picture temporarily, then salvation is finally opened up to the Gentiles. So all of a sudden people are excited. You know, Gentiles are learning the truth because before they had to wait until the Israelites got it right and they just never got it right. So it's like being in, an it's like being in a class and you, you've, got, you've got the lesson down and you're waiting to go to chapter 5. But there's, you know, the, the teacher says, sorry, until these three kids in the front row get this, we're not going any farther. And they don't come to school, they don't listen, they don't, they don't study, they're off running around. And you sit there and you say, I can't advance until they get it. And they're not getting it. Well, this was the problem with Israel. You can't advance because you've got to wait on Israel. And they were stubborn, they were hard-headed, and they wouldn't listen. So uh, this is what Paul is talking about in Romans. <clears throat> now we get to, uh, well... If you get a chance, go on through the, the rest of Judges. Now, <clears throat> we get to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 
in verse um, 12, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, we find the story of Eli. There's a problem here. And the people go to Samuel, because little Samuel grows up, and um, uh, Samuel is, is a leader for quite a while. But then what happens is Samuel doesn't do a very good job with his kids either. And if you know the story, as they, uh, as they get older, the people come. Let's go to chapter 8 now. Samuel grew old. He appointed his sons as judges for Israel. He gives their names. Verse 3, this is 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3, but his sons didn't walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, accepted bribes, and perverted judgment. So the elders came and they said, we want a king. Now that's not the answer. You know, if you have a king, you've got the same problems. He's, he's got to pass it on to his kids. So the only king they had was God. And they could have had, they didn't need Samuel. Samuel could, wouldn't have had to have been their priest, except they already blew it. See, they already rejected God, and God says, I'm not going to walk among you. You know, the high priest's clothes, they were only supposed to wear this very fancy robe to be uh, ordained in seven days, and then they were supposed to kind of lock it up like the Smithsonian, because he's not really the high priest. Melchizedek's the high priest. Those clothes belong to him and always have belonged to him. He's always been the high priest. It's not something new. So that's why he only wore them seven days. And then, then when he died, he was high priest till he died, then the next high priest would be ordained in those clothes, but he only got them for seven days. Then he had to take those off, and he had other clothes that he wore. So here, the, see, the problem here is that they've already rejected God as priest. Now they say, well, look, we don't think you're doing a good enough job, Samuel. You know, so, so we want a king. Well, the king wouldn't be the answer. The king isn't, isn't the answer. They needed to turn to God rather than a king. Well, they thought a king would solve the problem, and we know king really caused a lot of problems. I mean, you think it was bad now. It really got bad. See, it really got bad. So that's the whole story behind Samuel and, uh, and uh, the book of Samuel. Okay, let's go to uh, Nehemiah. Go to the book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> the story in Nehemiah is that uh, Israel has, has gone into captivity to the Assyrians back in like the 700 B.C. Judah is still there, because remember, it split. Why did it split? Is it your fault? You grow up in Israel, and, and, and Israel's down there, and Judah's down here split into two kingdoms? No. See, the, the, the brothers couldn't get along, and, and, and Samuel or, or uh, Solomon's sons and all of those problems. So now you've got two separate kingdoms. Now what happens is, in around 600 B.C., Judah goes into captivity, and they go into Babylon. Now, you're growing up in Babylon, and you can't help that. But then all of a sudden, God starts over with Israel again, just like he did Abraham. Starts over, brings them out, even made a prophecy, just like in, he, they knew how long they'd be in Egypt, 400, you know. Well, they knew how long they'd be in Babylon before they went in. So if you believe that, see, you're kind of believing in the, in the good news, that God will bring you out, God will set you up. So after 70 years in Babylon, he brought them out. Now we begin to see, and especially if you go through the genealogy in Ezra, you'll find that most of the people that came out were Levites. If you go through, instead of Levite being, if, you know, if you're one out of 12 tribes, it would make sense that probably one out of every 12 Israelites would be a Levite. But if you look, about 80% of the people coming out of the captivity were Levites. 
because remember Judah was separated and you had Judah, Levi, and Benjamin pretty much gathered together to form the, the nation of Judah. Anyway, God starts over and we find chapter 9. A, uh, chapter 9 is interesting, Nehemiah 9, go through and read that. And what Nehemiah does is uh, um, they talk about the covenant and how Abraham was called. And then chapter uh, 9, verse 13, you came down on Mount Sinai, you gave from them heaven, or from heaven, you gave them regulations and laws that are right and just and decrees and commandments that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath. See, it wasn't invented then, it was made for man. It goes all the way back to Adam and the first, you know, the, the covenant. You made known the holy Sabbath, gave them commandments and decrees and laws through your servant Moses. See, you're baptized into Moses and then you move on to Christ. Verse 16, but they, our fathers, became arrogant, stiff-necked. They didn't obey. They refused to listen, failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked. See, Israel had a chance, but they, they made their hearts this way. And then verse 20, it says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You didn't withhold their manna from their mouths or, or water for their thirst. And remember, the scripture says that what I've given you to do is not too hard. It's even near you. It's even in your mouth. And then Moses' writings are talked about being spiritual manna, spiritual food. So it was all there. Verse 26, they were disobedient. This is a really good summary chapter. Verse 27, so you handed them over to their en enemies. And uh, they oppressed them. They cried out to you from heaven. You heard them, and in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers. That's what the whole book of Judges is about, who rescued them from their hand of the enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they did again what was evil in your sight. Now, <clears throat> then verse 29, you warned them to return to your law, but they became arrogant. Verse 30, for many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you admonished them through the prophets. Verse 34, now therefore our God... Great, mighty, awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. See, he doesn't say that he's kept about 17 covenants down through here because there have been a lot of changes. They're not all separate covenants. It's the covenant of love, but I've got to make some changes because you keep running off on me. So you keep being an unfaithful wife, and I've got to keep making a few changes. So now he says, verse 34, notice the problem again, though, it's always made with the leadership. Verse 34, our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers did not follow your law. Well, see, that's the problem. They never got it down to the kids. Verse 36, see, we are slaves today in the very land that you gave us. Well, why? Well, because it never got passed on down. You know, it's not our fault. You know, they've been in captivity 70 years. He said, what did I ever do? See, the dad's teeth were, were ate the grape, and we're, we're paying for it. So he, he asked to um, uh, enter into a covenant. Verse 38, in view of all this, we're making a binding agreement and putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. So they renewed it. Um, but again, they're, they're in captivity. Okay, let's move on over, and let's look through uh, the book of Isaiah a bit. <clears throat> what we'll do in Isaiah, in the, um, we'll pick it up in uh, Isaiah 59, 
All of this is so very important because when we get to the New Testament, we realize what Christ was doing. He was the messenger of the covenant. He came to confirm the covenant. That means make it with firmness. Now, how can you make it with firmness? Did, did we not try to make it with firmness before? Well, yeah, with, with Joshua's group, but then they died off, but then it went away. Okay, well, fine, let's start over. How about with Gideon? How about with Deborah? How about with Samuel? How about with David? You see, he's trying, but the problem is the people. So in the new covenant or the next agreement or the next time I make a change in the covenant, if you will, that I'm going to make with firmness the same one, this time I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm not going to let them do it. I'm going to do it. And then I can honestly say it will be made with firmness. See? I can't say if it's going to be made with firmness. If I tell one of you a secret and say, you keep this secret and I want you to pass it to your generation. If I come back 100 years, I, I cannot say with firmness that the kid 100 years from now is going to know that secret. I can't, can I? What, what, what if you don't tell them? What if you die at an early age and your kids adopted out and they grow up, don't even know the secret of the covenant? The only way I can do it and, and say I can make it with firmness if, if God says, I will make sure that it's passed on. That's the only way he can make it. It's the only way. It's impossible otherwise because you can have one or two generations do a good thing. And then after that, you, you, you can't. So Isaiah 59, after redeeming, and, and Isaiah 59 is a fascinating chapter, verse... Uh, uh, 21, it says, as for me, this is my covenant with them. Says the Lord, my spirit, which is on you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or the mouths of your children or the mouths of their children or their descendants from this time and on forever. Now that is the new covenant. It doesn't say I'm going to let you live forever. Well, that was in the old one. Adam had the tree of life. You see, so it's not eternal life. It's not Jesus has died for your sins. All of that was in the old. All of that's always been there. It just says, this is my covenant. I'm going to make sure it gets passed on down. Now can we see as we've gone through Judges and Nehemiah that, that God had to do this? He says, man, you know, I'm going to have to do this. So let's keep going on through. Let's see some of the other messages of the, uh, of the prophets. We go to Jeremiah chapter um, 5. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 5, and we'll start in uh, um, verse 1. Go up and down in the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider, search your squares. This is a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth. Oh, well, I thought in the covenant all God would want is somebody that keeps the Sabbath perfectly. See, it's, we've heard that argument, haven't we? Oh, the Old Testament, all they cared about was the Sabbath. They never cared about, you know, justice, mercy, and faith. Like, that was all new. Like, when Christ came for the very first time, you heard that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Excuse me, what is, what is it? Leviticus 19.18 says, you're not even to think evil of your neighbor in your heart. That's not New Testament, that's Old Testament. And here he's talking about if you keep the covenant, by the way, you have knowledge of the Sabbath given to you. And with knowledge of the Sabbath, all of a sudden you learn about the plan of God. And the knowledge of the Sabbaths, you learn about the plan of God. Now it's kind of interesting 
Some people that we know very well have turned their back on that, and guess what? All of a sudden, the knowledge of the plan of salvation is getting very, very fuzzy with some people. They don't know if you go to heaven. They don't know if you go to hell. They don't know if all the churches of the world are saved. They don't know any of this because it's slowly being lost. How many generations has it been? It's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, we've, we've had sort of a self-righteous attitude, I think, in the past toward the Israelites. We're new Israel. We wouldn't do like old Israel. Yeah? What's happening? <laughs> Same thing. You know, like a generation, and it just kind of gets lost. Not right away. You know, if you go back and study Israel, they didn't drag out most of the time an idol and say, this is an idol, and, and there's God. We'll just kick that out. No, it's like this is a feast to the Lord. Remember what they did with the calf? This is a feast to the Lord. So you've got, see, a transition. Ah, nothing's changed. Can you, hear the, can you hear the priest maybe saying that? What are you upset about? Nothing's changed. Our, our behavior hasn't changed. We still offer the same sacrifices on the same days. We just made a few little changes here. Come on. You know, you've got to quit putting down the Canaanites that live down the street. You know, hey, there are, there are, God loves them too. So what's the problem here? Let's just kind of make a few changes. Nothing's changed, really, except you hard-headed, you know, ones that want to just stay right by the covenant here. You know, just make a few changes. See, the same thing happened then. And then slowly the people get deceived to where then they can't tell the difference. So when Elijah comes, he does his sacrifice and he says, you know, you've got to choose between God and Baal. And they didn't say anything because they didn't know. See, they'd grown up and they couldn't tell the difference. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure what the truth is. Have you had that happen in the last little bit? People saying, I'm not really sure what to do. Should I stay? Should I leave? Should I go here? I'm not really sure. Tell me. Well, if God is God, serve him. Is Elijah God? I mean, is, is Baal God? I, I'm not sure. What, what should I do? We've had that happen, haven't we? So Elijah does a miracle. God does a miracle, and they start shouting, Elijah, Elijah, because Elijah's name means the eternal is God. And so what happens then is Elijah slays all of the false prophets, turns the hearts back to God. Now, Jezebel's around, and that's another story, but that's the reason John the Baptist sent a message to Christ, and he said, why aren't you doing anything? See, he says, are you the one to come, or are we expecting another one? And when we go back and read the story and read it in the context, you'll find exactly uh, what it's talking about there because Christ had just preached a sermon and he said, I don't come to bring peace. I come with a sword and I come to set father against daughter and on and on and on. And then the very next day or the very next thing, John sends somebody and says, I'm in prison. Are you the one coming or are we expecting somebody else? And then that's when he says the scripture that I had you all read. The kingdom of God has been taken violently and advancing forcefully until now. But it's not happening anymore. My kingdom's not of this world. I have a sword, and yes, you think I should do like Levi and hack up all the people that are obeying the false gods, or do like Elijah, hack up all the false priests, but it's not going to happen. We're not going to call fire down, James and John, sons of thunder. You don't know what spirit you're of. Not that that wouldn't be the right thing to do, not that it wouldn't happen in the future, but you see, the kingdom of God is no longer advancing forcefully. I'm, it stopped. It's been taken away from them. See, this is why the, the, the apostle said, even when Christ left, he says, 
well, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? He says, no. He says, it's not for you to know. See, so it's not my kingdom. You need to be ambassadors. You're going to be put to death. It's not time for you to wield the sword yet. Not time. But when I come back, what's he do with the enemies? Bring them before and slay them before me. They'll be cut up, it says. Now, whether they'll actually be done that, but see, it's an analogy. It goes back to Levi. It goes back to Elijah. So there's a lot there between Christ being the Elijah to come because he is, because he takes over from John. John just starts. John's not the mess. John's not the one. He said, I'm not the one. So Elijah and Elisha's office go together, and John's and Christ go together. See, they go right together. They move right on through. Anyway, it's hard, not to, it's hard to stay in one spot. That's why I don't bring notes. I have no notes. I just have my Bible. If I go from this, then they're, they're getting it all on tape. We're going to sit down. We've got somebody who's going to type it all out, and I'm going to try to put it like in a booklet or, or some sort of a paper or something because it's just, there's just too many things that you can kind of jump on. But hopefully we can go ahead and kind of talk about it, and you go, yeah, okay. And then when we get there, then we're maybe a little more solid. Um, okay, so Jeremiah 5. He's looking around. He wants to forgive the city. Verse 2, although they say, as the Lord lives, they are still swearing falsely. So they've got this form of religion. They've got some of the terminology, but they're not doing the right thing. Verse 3, O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. See, Israel had a chance. Now, they're not lost for all time, but my point is, salvation, the gospel, the rest, all of that was available to them, but they made their faces hard. And there came a time then later on, God says, okay, Zechariah 7, he says, you've treated me that way, then I'm going to treat you that way. And then he blinds them in the New Testament, but not before, not before. Why did he blind them in the New Testament? What did he say? He says, well, if I don't, they'll, re they'll, they'll repent and be converted. Well, that, you go, why would that be a bad deal? Because the harvest is great. We've got no leaders. The whole Levite leadership is replaced by the church. They're replaced by the church. The Levites had the opportunity to be the apostles. That's why John came to them. But they didn't acknowledge John. They had the opportunity. They were there. But see, they, they, that's why the first shall be last and last will be first. Um... Verse 10, go through her vineyards and ravage them. Do not destroy them completely. This is a very important scripture later in Romans uh, 11, because some of the Gentiles in the early church thought, well, hey, we've replaced Israel. And he said, you haven't replaced Israel. There's only one vine. That's what Romans 11 is about. It says you got drafted or grafted into the vine. So then he says, you better straighten up. If God stripped the real branches off, because of unbelief, don't think he won't take you out of there too. That's what Romans is about. So then the, then the Gentiles said, oh, okay. Okay, we just keep on going here in Jeremiah. <clears throat> Jeremiah 11. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Listen to the terms of this covenant and tell the people of Judah and to those who live in Jerusalem, tell them that this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Cursed is the man who does not obey the terms of this covenant. The terms I commanded your forefathers when I brought him out of Egypt. See, it goes all the way back to that one. It's not a, another different one. I said, now here it is. I said, obey me 
Do everything I command you, and you'll be my people, and I will be your God. That's the covenant. What, 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 you see, it's so plain, isn't it? It's right there. It's not some, you know, keep some Sabbath because, you know, I'm going to punish you with it and, and, and watch you try to keep it and know that you can't keep it, know that you can't keep my law because you don't have my spirit. The only way you can have it is if I give it to you, therefore I'm going to kill you because you didn't do it. And then I'm going to take that old bondage away and give you something new. Boy, that just doesn't make any sense. He says, the, he says the agreement is you just do what I tell you to do and I'll be your God. You know, we'll add all the details later. And I may make some changes. Like we'll see later on to one of the prophets. He says, uh, I want you to, to marry a prostitute. Another one, he says, I want your, your wife's going to die as a sign. See, if you've entered into that agreement, you're looking for a city to come. So you may have to give up stuff in this life. If you have the faith and you look toward the future, that was a whole story in Hebrews 11 about Moses, that he esteemed the riches of Christ better than being second in command of all of, all of Egypt. So, okay, we keep on going here in Jeremiah. <clears throat> now, chapter 14, we start getting into some problems here with the prophets, all the false prophets, all of the leadership through Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Because remember, when Christ comes, there's going to be a lot of conflict over who sent him. Who are you? Are you really a prophet? You know, I don't think you even came from the right genealogy. How does this man know this, not having learned letters? See, who sent you? Well, it has some history because in the Old Testament, there were a lot of people that said they were sent and they weren't. Verse 13, but I said, ah, oh, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them, you're not going to see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I'll give you lasting peace in this land. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I've not sent them or, or appointed them or even spoken to them. Chapter 16. You see, you're kind of in a tough shape if you're growing up. You go and, you're, and now you're trying to figure out, well, who's, who's telling the truth here? Who's the real prophet? Chapter 16, verse 10. All this, and they ask you, well, why has the Lord decreed such a disaster against us? What wrong have we ever done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Say to them, it's because your fathers forsook me. Verse 19. O oh Lord, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in time of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers possess nothing but false gods. Well, that's a real problem if you grow up and your father has a false god and he teaches you about it. Verse 21. Therefore, what does that word therefore mean? What is it therefore? Because of all this problems that's just gone forward in, in chapter 16 of you're going to get you know, disaster because your parents broke the covenant. Uh, you, you have false gods because your mom and dad had false gods. Therefore, because of that problem, I will teach them. This time, as opposed to last time, I will teach them. My power and might, then they will know that my name is the Lord. Okay, keep going. Chapter 23. As we begin to go through these things, we'll see more and more why Christ zeroed in on the Pharisees in the Scripture. I mean, on one hand, he rails on them. I mean, they, they get so offended and so touchy around him, but yet they bring a woman to him caught in adultery. What's he say? Go and sin no more. And then he just jumps in the middle of these other guys. Come in, kick over tables, throw stuff out. But then other people 
you know, blind man. And so just go sin no more. Guy was healed and he said, go and don't sin unless the worst thing come on you. You know, what about the people? He said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering around. But then he turns and rails on the others because he's going to take the covenant away from them and he gives it to you. That's why your job is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. But we can't gather up an army and go force it on a nation because the kingdom isn't forcefully advancing. Not until Christ returns. When Christ returns, you get eternal life. Then the kingdom forcefully advances. Chapter 23, woe to the shepherds. Hope that's not us. <clears throat> Stephen Laurie here, who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. So, uh, <laughs> so he condemns, I have two P's in my name, by the way. Um, so he condemns them. Condemns them. <clears throat> but notice the covenant here, verse 2. This is what the Lord God of Israel says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock, you've driven them away, you've not bestowed care on them, I'm going to bestow punishment on you for the evil you've done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries that I've driven them. Verse 4, I will place shepherds over them that will tend them, that will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any of them be missing. See, and this was the whole reason, and if you keep this in mind, when you see him talking to the apostles, you find him training them in the way to be shepherds. He says, oh, you, what were you guys arguing about? Who was great? No, 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 no. You don't argue. That's what the Gentile leaders argue about. You wash one another's feet. If you want to be great, you be a servant, you see. So he begins to train the leadership to replace these guys. Verse 5, the days are coming, says the Lord. I'll raise up to David a righteous branch, to David's line, which is, this is why Christ is called the son of David. It had to be very apparent to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures of prophesying that he would come through the line, because these scriptures, he says, I'm going to bring him through the line of David. A righteous king who will reign wisely and do what's just and right in the land. Well, boy, that'd be terrific. That's a, that's a great covenant. That's a wonderful bunch of promises. You see, now we're, later we'll get into Hebrews and it says the new covenant had better promises. These are the better promises. It's not eternal life. It's that I'll do it. Oh, well, I'd, you know, if we had to go through a desert and, and, and they said it's up to you to go choose somebody to lead you through, or you had the option of God says, I'll lead you through, well, I'd think that'd be a better promise. I'd much rather have him do it. Uh, verse 27, a problem here talking about the prophets and the, and the lying uh, uh, prophets. They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. That's interesting. You start getting away from the truth, you forget a lot of stuff. Okay, Jeremiah 31. We, uh, so now we see the context. Jeremiah 31, uh, the promise that you're going to return from the land, that I'll bring you back from the captivity. And then, uh, again, we've read that many times. He says, this is the covenant in verse 33. I'm going to put the law in their hearts, and I'm going to write it on their gods, and I will be their God, and no man will need to teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Now, this, again, was the major problem in Paul's writings when Paul was addressing situations because the Jews, the former holders of the covenant, would show up in a church area and they would want to teach you all about God. And he said, no, God is writing it on your heart. You don't need to listen to them. You have no need that any man teach you. In fact, is hold your place here and go to 1 John chapter, I think it's 2. 
I know this isn't John or isn't Paul's writings here, but uh, same problem. First John chapter two. You see, you had a lot of people showing up trying to teach. Remember, even the circumcision problem, they, men came down from where? Jerusalem. Well, so what? Oh, well, Jerusalem held a lot if you were still under the covenant to where Jerusalem was the center. But no, ours comes from heaven. We look for a city coming from heaven. So they would come down with all this authority, and, and Paul would argue with them. <clears throat> so 1 John chapter 2 um, Verse 19, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us because if they belonged with us, they would have remained with us in, in the faith. You know, they're going out shown that none of them belong to us, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. See, I found that very interesting and united as we as we get together and visit, you know, different ones that have, have left. You're not here because there's a church sign up someplace and say, well, I want to go to that church or this church. You go and you get together and you talk and you find out, well, wait a minute, I believe what you believe. And, and, and I believe what you believe. And you and I believe the same thing. And, and uh, what about this? Oh, yeah, that's false. Yeah, me too. I, I prove that just like that. We have an anointing that is teaching us. So I get up here and I teach the wrong thing. All of you get up walking, you know, you go, hey, he's off the rocker. You know, I get up and say, well, Sunday's as good a day, you know. Part of the covenant is Sunday's as good a day as Saturday. Right away you go, wrong. See, it's not some man teaching you. It's the Spirit of God. So, he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Um, verse 26, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Now remember, the covenant is, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, know the Lord, but they'll all know me from the least to the greatest. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you. Now that doesn't mean that you don't learn. I mean, that's what you're doing now. We're learning. You know, I listen to a tape from another minister. You go to sermon. You learn. You say, okay, he's teaching me. Yeah, but if we grabbed one of the students walking down here and, and said, if he came in and thought this was psychology 101 or something, you know, if God's not calling me, he's going to think I'm nuts. You know, he'd get up and walk out of here later and say, you know, that was, I don't know, a bunch of religious fanatics back there. See, I can't teach him. You can't teach your neighbor. Only God can teach your neighbor. So yeah, you know, you, you do learn from one another and you learn even in counseling. You learn in visiting, drinking coffee. You know, oh, I got this problem. Oh, I did that and I did this and this and it worked out. Oh, really? Hmm, I never thought of that. Well, they taught you, but it's not talking about the covenant teaching you. It's not talking about some Jew shows up with the knowledge of the covenant and begins to be in charge and teaching you and saying, no, 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 you need to listen to me. No, I need to listen to the Spirit of God. See? Because I have no need that man teach me. doesn't mean we're all running around doing our own thing. The fact is the Spirit brings unity because we're all of the same Spirit. But we're here because we're of the same spirit, not because somebody says, you know, here's, here's the membership, and then you're all here, and then that makes us one. No, we're here because of the spirit. See, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? You know, are we all one because we disagree, but we put it up on the shelf, and we're all here among the church, and we're not speaking, you know, out, and we've already been through that. You know, don't, don't you say anything that you disagree. You know, we all got to be unified here. Well, that's not unity. Unity is when you can speak out and all of a sudden, you know, you have misunderstanding, you kind of talk it out and pretty soon you go, oh, no, we're all on the same team, aren't we? We all believe the same. Oh, okay. Then that's the unity. 
Not the fact that you come here and you can't talk and it's, well, if you have a problem, just put it on the shelf. That's not unity. That's not the new covenant spirit that it's talking about here. Verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those that are trying to lead you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. You don't need anyone teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it, that's the Holy Spirit, has taught you and remains in you. And that's what Christ was talking about in what John 14 and 16. When he says, I'll send the Spirit. It'll teach you. It'll bring things to your memory, the things that I've taught you. And so when, the, when Acts 2 comes along, we're in this temple, but instead of the Spirit and the knowledge being coming into this, this little temple area, it, came in, it comes into people. It lands on all these different people. It didn't go to the high priest, and the high priest passes. It goes to all these people. And it goes to men, women, you know, male, female, neither Jew nor Greek or free, free nor firstborn or whatever. So it all goes to them, and everybody thought, well, they're all drunk. And he says, no, the time is coming. God is pouring his spirit out on the sons and daughters. Why the sons and daughters? Because the parents didn't obey. And then it starts there. So that's the covenant. Let's keep going here. I'll tell you what, why don't we, uh, why don't, if you don't mind, let's, maybe we ought to sing a song, kind of get up and so you don't, you know, it's hard to, long sermon, hard to not, uh, maybe we'll wake up here and, and we'll, uh, We'll just sing a song and I'll come back and finish up. Ezekiel is a very interesting book as you understand the covenant. Because Ezekiel talks a great deal about the future when the covenant is being you know, restored and when Israel will be restored. It's, uh, it's interesting, a little, little term I came across for myself is that the new covenant makes the old possible. You think about that. The new covenant makes the old possible. See, the covenant is, is always been eternal life. I'll be your God and so forth. We understand that. But the new makes it possible. So the new covenant makes, you know, it's, it's kind of a little catchy thing. I mean, if you just said it to average Christianity, they would, they would think you're all wet. But the new makes the old possible. He says, I'm going to make it possible for you. Now, Ezekiel chapter 11 Verse 17, he says, the last part of verse 17, after he says he'll gather you back, he says, I'm going to give you the land of Israel again. I wonder if they can keep it this time. Well, sure. Verse 18, they'll return to it and they'll remove all its vile images, detestable idols. And I'll give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. And I'll remove from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Remember, we already read that they made their own hearts this way. And we read in, in Acts 7 that they stopped their ears. So it says, but notice the end result. They will be my people and I will be their God. Chapter 13. 13 is about the prophets. Verse 3. This is what the eternal says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. So again, this is a problem with the covenant, verse 10, because they lead my people astray saying peace when there is no peace. <clears throat> then verse uh, 17, now son of man set your face against the daughters of your people and prophesy that prophesy out of their own imagination. Prophesy against them, says this is what the Lord says. And then uh, down a little bit it says, will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? 
You have profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. By lying to my people who listen to lies, you've killed those who should not have died and have spared those who should not have lived. See, uh, until that time, the, the kingdom had the authority to execute people. You know, we don't execute anybody in the church. Uh, not that I've heard about anyway. But uh, in the Old Testament, they, they had the authority to do it. Now, they were supposed to have mercy and judgment and faith, and you shouldn't be more wicked than the person you're executing. That was a whole lesson. But there were people you should execute. But see, the kingdom stopped. See, he says, okay, stop, goes to heaven, no more of that. No, so that's why you turn the other cheek now. Because it says an eye for an eye was to resist evil. That's a good law. And I have a whole sermon to show you it's, it's still in force. Because it keeps people that are evil from doing evil. When you do something bad. But God's law is based on that. But the thing is, is you, that's how you resist evil people. You have laws that say, well, you do that eye for an eye. You know, if we took that law into the inner city, we would stop crime in a hurry. In a hurry. And God does believe in that. That's why he says, you reap what you sow. You've done this, it'll be done to you. You judge, it'll be judged back. That's eye for an eye. It's, it's a good law. But the problem is, he says, the kingdom is no longer forcefully advancing. So we can't use that law. He says, so since you're not of that kingdom, then you need to turn the other cheek. Leave it to me. When I return, I will repay. So then the eye for an eye still counts. And you go through the book of Revelation. He says, well, the whore did this and the whore did that. Therefore, I'll do this to her. See, she, she shed blood. I'll make her drink blood. They did this. I'll, make, I'll do that to her. What you did will return back on your own head. So the eye for an eye is still there. But the thing is, you can't enforce it because you don't have a kingdom. You don't have a throne. So what we have to do is be merciful to others, turn the other cheek, and then God stores it up. And then if he decides that that's what they need, then he has the ammunition to use it on. And he also has the ability to forgive it and walk away if he needs to. And then that's where we step back and say, well, God, you do whatever you want to with it. Be merciful to them like you're merciful to me. So, uh, verse 22. Now, again, think about the Pharisees in the New Testament and, and so forth. Because you disheartened the righteous with your lies. I mean, there were righteous people then? Sure. When I had brought them no grief because you encouraged the wicked not to turn from their evil ways and save their lives, therefore, you'll no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will save my people from your hands, and then they will know that I am the Lord. Again, we're, we're setting the stage for Christ coming and absolutely ripping the authority away from the Pharisees. He says, yeah, they sit in Moses' seat, Matthew 23, but not for long. Do what they tell you to do until Acts. Acts 2, you get the spirit, the transformation takes place, they're not in authority any longer. Verse, chapter 16, verse 59. This is what the eternal says. I will deal with you as you deserve because you have despised my oath by breaking the covenant. Yet, verse 60, I will remember the covenant I made with you. Oh wait, poor Ezekiel, he was all confused. I mean, doesn't he understand that in a few years Christ is going to come, do away with that dirty old covenant? And start all over with a brand new one? See, didn't he understand that, that Jesus didn't really mean it when he, when he prophesied through Daniel that he would confirm the covenant? Now, Daniel, Ezekiel knew what he was talking about here. Verse 60, I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I'll establish an everlasting covenant with you. 
Again, the only way he can do that is to make sure that he's the one that passes it on. Then you'll remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both those who are older than you, see, out of the resurrection, because later Ezekiel's going to cover it in verse 30, in chapter 36, and those that are younger, the ones that are to come, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not on the basis of my covenant with you. What do you mean, not on the basis of my covenant with you? Oh, because the one before, when I gave you daughters and I gave you the Gentiles, it was up to you to teach them. But he says, it won't be on that basis this time. I'll give them to you, but I'll teach them. That's the only change. That's the change. Verse 62. So I'll establish my covenant with you, and then you'll know that I am the Lord. Chapter uh, 18. <clears throat> Famous scripture, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat the sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son. See, every living. That includes Gentiles, includes people before Mount Sinai, which the Sabbath was made for all mankind. Both alike belong to me, and the soul that sins, it will die. Verse 30. Therefore, O house of Israel, I'm going to judge you, but each one according to his ways. Repent. I thought they couldn't repent. Turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. You know, it's really interesting to read this and think about the conversation that God had with Cain. It's the same conversation. You know, when men walked with God, we shouldn't be too surprised to find that God would talk about salvation, that God would talk about sin. We have a few recorded conversations, and one of them is with Cain. They met what Adam Clark thinks was on the Sabbath, which we covered, and they were doing sacrifices, and Cain had an attitude, and what did God say? Cain, what, what's your problem? You know, if you do what's right, it'll work for you. If you don't, sin is right at the door, and sin wants to have dominion over you. So he's talking about human nature, he's talking about sin, he's, he's, he's counseling, he's got his arm around his son here kind of saying, come on son, you know, you're, you're, doing, you're going the wrong way here, you're going to be, you're going to be uh, on thin ice. And he's saying repent and change. Why wouldn't that occur through all the men and women down through the generations of the Bible? You know, if Noah's 600 years old by the time they start on the ark, you know, you'd think that they probably had a few conversations, you know, there's a few Sabbaths you know, 52 a year times 600 years or whatever. So we shouldn't be surprised. See, it's, it's, I, I say that because we need to continually knock in the head the idea that salvation is only available after Christ comes. That, that it's the first time man ever heard about any new covenant or, or, or living forever. That's, that's insane. Verse 13, <clears throat> rid yourselves of all the offenses you've committed. Hmm. Yeah, I guess you'd have to have a savior to do that, wouldn't you? Well, of course, church was, uh, you know, Christ was preached from the foundation of the world. He was sacrificed. The gospel was preached. He says, and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I don't take any pleasure in the death of anyone. Repent and live. You see, they could have come on into that. <clears throat> Chapter 20, more against the uh, princes of Israel. Verse 10, therefore I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the desert. I gave my decrees and made known to them my laws. For the man who obeys them will live by them. This is chapter 20, 
verse 21, I also gave them my Sabbaths, plural, because they, if you're going to be a priest, if you're going to be in possession of the covenant, and your job is to teach all the nations the covenant, then you've got to know the Sabbaths because they lay out the plan of God. So he just doesn't say the Sabbath, he says the Sabbaths. A sign between us, so that they would know that I... The Lord made them holy. Sabbath doesn't make you holy. There are people that keep the Sabbath who don't know one end from another. It is God that makes you holy, and then God gives you the Sabbath, and the Sabbath gives you knowledge and so forth. <clears throat> and then verse uh, 13 talks about them just turning their back on the Sabbath. Now, we start over in verse 18. So he says, I said to their children in the desert. This is after saying they, they blew it. Don't follow the statutes of your fathers or keep the laws or defile yourselves with their idols. Now, this isn't talking about God's laws. These people followed Molech through the desert, and these kids grew up and didn't, none of them were circumcised. And yet they had the law right there. So, so they didn't pass the law on to them. So he said, don't, don't do what they're doing or their idols. Verse 19, I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws, which shows they weren't the same. Verse 20, keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may, and you, you notice you keep it, you don't make it holy. You cannot make a day holy. If the day is holy, it's holy. You don't make it holy, I don't make it holy. So you keep my Sabbaths holy, which was since creation made for man, that it may be a sign between us, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Now once you turn loose to the Sabbaths, after a while, you don't know who's God. Pretty soon you start thinking... You know, I mean, let's face it, some of, the, some of the teachings that are out in the world, when you turn loose to that, you're not really sure who God is. That's why when a false God arises in the end, a lot of people think it's really Jesus, and it's not. Chapter 22, verse 23, Ezekiel 22, verse 23, we're taking, I know we're taking a lot of time to go through this, but I hope this will make Ezekiel really jump out at you, because it will set the stage as we go through. Verse 24, Son of man, say to the land, you are a land that has no rain or showers in the day of wrath. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion. Verse 26, her princes do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They don't distinguish between what's holy and common. They teach there's no difference between unclean and clean. Shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths. Well, you know, like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun there again think about when christ came the princes did violence to the law threw people out of the synagogue for being healed on the synagogue made the sabbath so so bad that you you know who wanted well most of you are here when i gave a sermon on the sabbath think first sabbath we were here you know who wants to make a bed if you got to get people to hold up the bedspread and push the bed underneath you know they, they did violence to my sabbath there's a conspiracy all you got to do is read the sanhedrin met in the middle of the night and put christ to death they said, boy, if we don't do something, all people will fall after him and we'll lose our position. So, you know, again, this is very, very true. So when Christ comes, he gives the princes an opportunity to repent through John. But then they don't. And so then it's, it's taken away. Um, <clears throat> okay, we move on then through uh, Ezekiel. We get to Ezekiel uh, chapter 34, very famous passages of Scripture. Chapter 34 is a condemnation again of the shepherds of Israel. And um, we'll just we'll skip over down to verse 11. 
he, he lays out some of the evil things that they'd done to the people, how they were harsh and brutal. It's very good to write Matthew 23 here and then sit down and read one, then read the other, then read the other back and forth because Christ quotes a lot of this. Verse 11, for this, says the sovereign Lord, I myself will search for the sheep. As for a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will pasture them. And verse 15, I myself, you see. So uh, that's the whole idea there. Then verse 24, you know, after I get done doing all of this, then verse 24, I, the Lord, will be their God, and their servant David will be prince among them, and I, the Lord, have spoken it. Verse 30, then they will know that I am the Lord their God and with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people. So, like I said, the new makes the old possible. <clears throat> Chapter 37, we won't need to read that. It's very clear. You all know that from the last great day. That the resurrection, and then God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you and I'll be your God. Now, let's jump ahead to Malachi. And we'll finish up... Uh, the Old Testament. If you've ever done any, if you've had an opportunity to read the book, the books of Maccabees, if you have a Catholic Bible, you can get one at the library. And there's a, there's a book of Maccabees. There's, I think there's two or three, two or three books. I can't remember. Um, it's not considered, and I would not consider it, holy scripture, okay? But it's very good history. And what it does, it gives you, and Josephus is good too, giving you a history between Malachi and Matthew. Now, there's about 400 years there, and that's a long time. You know, this is 19, what, 96? So there's a lot's happened between now and 1596. See, and, and you know, you, you finish Malachi, you turn the page, and there's Matthew. But there's 400 years there. If you trace the history of this 400 years, it is, it, it is a sad, sad situation. You find that the high priesthood became bought and sold. You find one high priest murdered another high priest. You find another priest who was not of the family was put in by the conquerors. And then another high priest who was put out, they got him and they didn't want him to get back in, so they cut his ears off because a high priest, if you have any kind of a physical deformity, you can't be high priest. So they whacked his ears off so that he couldn't be back in. Then another one got in and then they got the other one out and then he went over to uh, the occupying army and says, well, when you come in and conquer this other occupying army, if you throw your lot in with me and make me high priest, then you know I'll help you. And so there's all these conspiracies going on. It is unbelievable to read through Maccabees and read through Josephus during that time period. It's sad. And it, in, in, in the eyes of the world, the Jews became scum. I mean, they, they were just prostitutes. Their religious people were just buying and selling and doing anything they could to get on top, to be in charge. And the, the story of Maccabees, finally they, they were sacrificing some pigs and so forth, and, and they would come to the town and try to get people to do that. And, and one priest was doing it, and old man Maccabee, he couldn't stand it anymore, so he killed him. And he killed the, all the Romans that were with him, and then that started a big war, and they came to White Mountain, and they all fled to the hills. And eventually 
they um, they had enough guerrilla warfare that that the the Romans kind of made peace with them and said, well, okay, we'll let you do certain things if you'll you know, and and slowly they kind of patched it back together. All the Maccabees were killed. Dad was killed. All the sons. He had about five sons, and they were all they were all killed. But that's where Christ comes. I mean, that's when he shows up. This is the history of the priesthood of the Levi who has the covenant. Now, just before that, the last book is written here is Malachi. And it's written as a warning to Levi saying, you've blown it. We've tried different families. We've had all kinds of kings in charge, which has nothing to do with you, Levi. But now, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to take it away from you and give it to somebody else. And I'm going to purify the sons of Levi. So you better listen. So this is what the stage for Malachi. Malachi 1, verse 6. A son honors his father. A servant is master. If I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It's you, O priests, who despise my name. How did we do that? He says, well, you placed defiled food on my altar. He says, well, how have we defiled you? And he says, well, you bring blind animals for sacrifices. And he goes through and he he explains this. He says, try offering it to your governor. He's not going to be happy with it. So think about that for a minute. If you're trying to represent God and these sacrifices picture Christ, and they do. That's why when Christ died, there's no more sacrifices. Because the sacrifices pictured Christ. Not the Ten Commandments, the sacrifices. And when they lead you to Christ, they are done away with. Not the Ten Commandments. They were added because of transgression. Ten Commandments wasn't added because of transgression. Ten Commandments tells you what transgression is, so you can't have transgression if you don't already have the Ten Commandments. So you've got the Ten Commandments, but the law, the sacrificial law, was added because they kept running off. They kept breaking the law. So they said, okay, here are, the, here are these things that you need to do. But they all led you to Christ. They pictured Christ. They were washings. They were, don't do this and don't do that. Not clean and unclean foods. But they were certain things that you did. Certain times of the month, certain, certain things that you went through. If you had a baby boy, if you had a baby girl, how long you couldn't come to, to worship. And there were certain things that pictured Christ. When Christ came, it says in Daniel, in fact, we should read that. Just hold your place here and go back to Daniel because it's very important what Christ did away with. <clears throat> Daniel 9. Daniel 9. And here was a prophecy given to Daniel, who was one of the three righteous men's, men that Ezekiel writes about. Remember, Daniel, Noah, and Job. So Daniel had been praying. He said, look, we've been in captivity. You know, when are you going to restore things? And he gets this prophecy. And in the prophecy, in verse 27, it talks about Christ. It says, he, the anointed one, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That'd be seven years. But in the middle of that seven, we know Christ's ministry was three and a half years. He also died on Wednesday in the middle of the week. In the middle of that seven, he will put an end not to the covenant and not to the law, an end to sacrifice and offering, because that led you to Christ. See, that led you, it wasn't the Ten, ten Commandments don't lead to Christ. Ten Commandments define God and define his nature and so forth, 
the, the sacrifices led you to Christ. So, so in the middle, he confirms his covenant, makes it with firmness, but he stops the offering and the sacrifice. And then he takes the kingdom away from Israel, gives it to a, a nation bearing the fruits thereof, and we go from there. Okay, we go back to Malachi. <clears throat> verse 10, Malachi 1, verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors that you wouldn't light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you. See, and again, they don't have anybody to pass things down properly. Verse 12, you profane the Lord's table. It is defiled, and of its food it's corruptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously when you bring the injured and the crippled and diseased animals. So if you're trying to learn about God and all of a sudden you, you come in contact with these priests and they're offering a diseased animal. When you had the Passover, he wasn't supposed to you, had to, you had to lay him up for like four days. Now, those of you, I've raised enough bottle calves, you know, you don't want any, you know, pardon the language, but you don't want any snotty-nosed calves, which is a term, you know, and, you know, they, they start running. You say, hey, you need to give him a shot or you need to work with him or whatever, or if he's got the scours or whatever, is, is he sick? So you, you lay him up from the 10th to the 14th to make sure he was okay. Couldn't have any broken bones. He had to be, there were certain very strict rules because that saved you. No, it pictured Christ. So he couldn't have a broken bone. He couldn't be sick. He had to watch him for, ten, or for four days from the 10th till the, till the 14th. So if, if you're representing God and all of a sudden you say, ah, it doesn't matter. You just bring him in. You know, he's sick. He's crippled up. Whatever. It doesn't matter. He said, well, look, you are treating me with contempt. And so how can people learn about me if you just offer anything that, that you lay your hands on? Chapter 2, verse 1, this is the admonition for you, O priest. If you don't listen, if you don't set your heart to honor my name, then he talks about he'll, he'll curse them. Verse 4, you will know that I have sent you this admonition. Why, why did he send it? so that my covenant with Levi may continue. My covenant, verse 5, was with him, a covenant of life and peace, not bondage. I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. When did he do that? Well, back when he defended the covenant at the Golden Calf incident. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Hmm, even in the Old Testament. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction. Well, see, that should have been the firstborn, but the firstborn blew it, so the Levites are taking care of it, but then they blow it, and the church takes care of it. Because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, but you have turned from the way, and by your teaching... You've caused many to stumble. You've violated the covenant with Levi. So, we've got a problem. Chapter 3, verse 1. See, I'm going to send my messenger. And he's going to prepare the way before me. And then suddenly, the Lord that you're seeking, see, you, you think you want him to come, but, you know, the way you're doing things, when I come, it's not going to be good news for you. See, you think you want him to come. He says... The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Again, talking to the Levites. He'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, not the people. 
See, the people are blinded. Apostles could see. People were blinded. So he came just to replace the leadership. Refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men that will bring offerings in righteousness. See? <clears throat> Verse 5, I'll come near to you in judgment. I'll be quick to testify against the sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and those that defraud laborers of wages, oppress the widows. You, you know, you read the condemnations to the Levites, and boy, oh boy, it's right out of Malachi. He talks about robbing God, <clears throat> but he's going to make some changes. Verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. See, after I've changed the Levites and, and gotten men and women to offer right sacrifices, that's why this New Testament talks about offer different kinds of sacrifices. It doesn't talk about physical ones. Verse, seven, uh, verse 16, Then those that feared the Lord talked with each other. The Lord listened and heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine. Same terminology that he used with the firstborn and with the Levites whenever he changed. They'll be mine when I make up my treasured possession, and I'll spare them. Then we get to chapter 4, and we get to verse 4. Remember, not forget, remember the law of Moses, my servant, the decrees or the statutes and the laws I gave him. See, all of that is part of the covenant that goes on and on and on. The sacrifices are added because of sin. But the Levites had that covenant, and he said, remember it. Don't do away with it. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn, of the heart, turn the hearts to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And he did come strike the land with a curse. He did not turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. All you have to do is read the end of Matthew 23, and Jesus said, after he condemned the Pharisees, after he just got done talking to the church and he said, I'm taking the kingdom from them and giving it to a nation, bringing the fruits thereof, he condemns them then in Matthew 23. And at the end of Matthew 23, he turns to Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish that you'd turn to me. I, I wanted to gather you in like a chicken does her, her little chicks. But he said, it will be called on this generation. Now that was about 30 to 31 A.D. How long is a generation? Four years. What happened in 70 A.D.? Those people were killed. They were wiped out. You read the history. They were crucified. They were slaughtered. They were wiped out. And a curse was brought on that nation. And the Levites, how many Levites do you know today? You know, there may be a few around. They're gone. They're, they're scattered. They've been persecuted ever since. If you're a Jew, I mean, all you have to do is chase, trace your history. The curse was brought on them. The kingdom was handed to another nation. And what we'll do the next time is we'll pick up, we'll start at Matthew 1, and we will go through the New Testament, and we will see the whole thing change hands entirely. 